0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Well, will you remember one thing at least from my visits to you these last number of weeks? Where do you go to find out about the return of Christ in the Scriptures? Go again and again and again to Revelation not to Revelation to Matthew 24 and 25 read those two chapters often to you, to, until you're absolutely clear about what Jesus was teaching and you'll not go far wrong then when you come across all sorts of odd ideas that sometimes people propagate by all means then you can go to the book of Revelation as well which is I believe a revelation and God willing, when I come back in a few weeks' time, I want to finish looking at Matthew twenty-five and then take you to one chapter in Revelation. I just I was going to say as a taster, but we don't we don't just taste the scriptures, but just to show you that you can understand it too. But tonight, we're still in Matthew chapter twenty-five and the parable of the talents. Again, is how it begins this passage, this section in the New International Version. So it's just continuing the same uh, discourse that Jesus uh, was giving about his return. In the parable of the virgins that we looked at this morning, the wise and foolish virgin, seems to me the main thrust is, uh, is preparedness in the sense of really knowing the Lord. Five of them, the foolish ones, did not know Jesus. They were professing to be friends of the groom and the bridegroom, but they didn't know they, they, they didn't know the Savior that that's what that's what Jesus is pointing us here to he, tell, he says is that specifically when they came to knock on the door and to ask for admission he says I tell you the truth I don't know you now there's no clearer way of saying that these people were not then true believers they, they were not admitted to the great marriage supper of the Lamb because they didn't know the Savior fundamental a difference between true and false believers between those who are hypocrites and those who are genuine, between uh, those who know the Lord and those who don't. It's pointed out just in a very simple way. one group had oil and the other group didn't. very very simple, but a very fundamental truth that we need to understand. But when we come to the parable of the talents, What's the main lesson here, do you think? Virgins, do they know the Savior? No, some of them didn't. The question here seems to be, does my life show that I truly belong to God? Am I truly living for him, seeking to be faithful in serving Jesus and in using my talents? I think that's the fundamental question. Does my life show? Do my works show? That I belong to Jesus is not a very important question because, as we will see, when we come to that great and awesome day of judgment, and we began with a couple of verses from Revelation, when we come to that great and awesome day, we will be judged by our works. Does that confuse you? Judged by your works? Well, let's learn this fundamental principle, and we'll come back to it again. We are saved by grace and not by works but we will be judged by our works. We'll come back to those things as we go through this parable. Let's just think of the parable. Usually when I come to a parable, I tell the story of the parable in my own words. It might sound a bit presumptuous. How can I do better than Jesus? But try to explain uh, what it says just in my own words. And, And it begins like this. A man goes on a journey he's a very rich man, as we see in a moment or two, a landowner, presumably, or businessman, or something like that. We're not told. It's not the only time that we see this particular figure, because elsewhere, for example, it's used in chapter 20 in the parable of the vineyard. A vineyard owner went on a journey, and he left his vineyard in the charge of a number of servants, and then he came back after a long time to look for fruit from the vineyard. It's similar In a way, this man called his servants to him. Three servants, we are told. And he gave them all talents. Now, the talent here was a weight of silver in ancient times. And it was very, very valuable. Uh, We're told by some commentators that a talent was really worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. You work that out. It's a lot of money. And he gave five talents to one person, two to another, and one to another. Why the difference? Well, I believe it's because this this man, this wealthy man, recognized that everyone has different abilities and different capabilities. And so he gave them different numbers of talents. He wasn't going to expect too much of one man so he just gave him one talent expected him to use that and and to the other two and another one five and he said to them he entrusted these talents to them and went on his journey and in luke's gospel when you read this story and his account there in the old authorized version he said to them occupy till i come Those of us who are older might remember that little phrase. And I think it gets to the heart of what he expected them to do with this money, this huge amount of money. Occupy till I come meant take this money, which is my money. I'm entrusting it to you, and I want you to trade with it and use it for the benefit of my estate until I come back again that's what the that sentence in luke's gospel seems to convey occupy till i come the money had to be used for the furtherance of this man's estate well what happened with these talents well we know Uh, just think of the way that it's recorded for us in matthew's gospel after a long time there's the long time again isn't it we saw that this morning Uh, in the the bridegroom story and and other parts of the scripture. After a long time, the servants, master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. There will be a settling of accounts for everyone, in fact. The man who received the five talents brought five more. And, And this is what he said to his master, you entrusted me with five talents. I have gained five more. He had been diligent with his use. In his use of these talents and his master replied well done good and faithful servant there's a phrase that's often used uh, maybe at uh, funerals uh, people uh, who have died and who are, have professed to be christians and perhaps the minister or other will, will say that he has heard god's well done you good and faithful servant i think we've got to be very careful about pronouncing that on anyone we can't see anyone's heart can we we don't know whether people have really been good and faithful servants all we can say is what we saw on the outside but jesus of course knew this man's heart and knew what he had done and he said well done you good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things i'll put you in charge of many things and again the old authorized version i i like in this particular verse it says enter into the joy of your lord come and share your master's happiness, as the NIV rendering. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The same happened with the man with two talents. Uh, the same story, I've gained two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But then, but then comes the, the sad part of the story. The man who received the one talent came Now, it's almost amazing what he said to his master here I don't know what he was thinking about in a sense if I can say that of a parable master he said I knew that you were a hard man wait a wee minute he's talking to his master he's talking to his boss I suppose you could call it the one who had given him that talent I knew you were a hard master and it's almost as if he accuses him of, of being dishonest and, and a thief harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed hard dishonest is that what he's is that what he's accusing his master of well i was afraid he said anyway and i went down and hid your talent in the ground and here it is back to you in this little bag i suppose to keep it nice and clean here's your talent Back again. Very different from the first two, isn't it? And the response of his master was withering, wasn't it? And and so so condemning. You wicked, lazy servant. You know what the Bible has to say about laziness. Read the Book of Proverbs, the Bible. Solomon speaks of the sluggard, the lazy person, the person who lies in his bed and won't get up to do his work, and so on. And the master here accuses this man of being a lazy person. You wicked lazy servant! You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, that's what you said. That's what you think about me. Is that right? Well, what you should have done at least is put my money in the bank, and then I would have got it back with interest and you know the end of the story where he said take the talent from the man who had won give it to the one who had ten everyone who has will be given more and have an abundance it's a sort of a rule of life in some some situations you know school children who are diligent and doing well and say maths at school well they tend to get on and do even better Whereas the ones who are perhaps lazy and get behind, will they tend to get even further behind and do worse? It's that sort of picture I think that you have there. Whoever has will have will be given more and have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And then these very, very solemn words. Throw him out into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not the only time that Jesus uses that phrase. He uses it on a number of occasions, outer darkness, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. I know men and women that these three parables are very solemn. This morning's was very solemn. And next time I come back and look at the the story of the, the sheep and the goats, it's very solemn too. But I do remind you that this is what Jesus said. They're not my words. There are some parts of the scriptures, and and if I was being perfectly human and honest, I would really, in a sense, not have to read them or, or deal with them. But we can't do that. We have to take all of the Bible as God's word. And this is what Jesus said here, and it's for our instruction and for our good. So let's think then about this parable, and, and I want to leave with you five lessons from it the first in a sense we have seen already in the parable of the uh, virgins a similar a similar lesson the master has gone that's what happened here it's like a man going on a journey but jesus didn't go he didn't leave his people without the first giving them talents our gifts. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about how there's uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, and so on. But to each of, each of us, he says, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace. God's gifts of grace apportioned out to us. In the parable, five talents to one, two to another, one to another, apportioned according to their abilities. That's why it says, and he quotes here from Psalm 68 when he ascended up on high, when Jesus ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. That's what this man did in the parable, isn't that right? He's gone, but not before giving gifts to his servants gone for a long time as well. After a long time, the master of those servants returned. This is the theme of basically all of these parables, isn't it? And and the the message of the return of Christ, he's gone. It seems to us to be a long time. It's been 2,000 years or so. We don't know how much longer, but it's God's timing, and he will come again in his appointed time that's the first lesson the master is gone but has given gifts to his servants secondly and this is very simple he will return without fail now we know that that's true of Jesus, he's gone back to heaven, he's seated at the right hand of God he sits there living ever living to make intercession for us he is our advocate with the father but he will come again Let this sink into our hearts, men and women. He will come again. That's what he said. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And the angels, as they stood beside the disciples, when Jesus ascended up into heaven, do you remember what they said? Why are you standing looking up into heaven? This same Jesus that you have seen going into heaven will come again in the same manner as you have seen him go. You will see him come again just as you have seen him go. And he will come again, and all will have to give account to him. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. There will be accounts to be settled with those who have turned their back upon him, those who have rejected him, those who will not believe on him. Do you, do you know the sin that will condemn people? The fundamental sin that will condemn people on that day of judgment? It's the sin of unbelief. Oh, there are lots of other sins, yes, that call for judgment, but unbelief. People will often say their favorite Bible verses is John 3 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall have eternal life. Well, that's the way you would think it read. When you listen to folks, it sounds lovely, and it is for the believer. But they often, if not literally, but in their minds, seem to leave out those three little words in the middle. Shall not perish. And the opposite of that, of course, is true. If people do not believe in him, they will perish. That is the ultimate sin in a sense that will condemn people. The sin of unbelief. There will be deaths to be settled with those who have not believed, those who have lived their lives in enmity against God. But there will also be accounts to be rendered by those who know the Savior. There will be fruit to be collected from God's servants, the sense there will be talents to be accounted for. Do you remember what Paul said right into the Romans, in Romans chapter 14 and, and verse 10? You brother, why do you judge your, you then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Now Paul's writing to Christians in Rome, He's not talking about unbelievers here, just. We will all stand before God's judgment seat, as it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every knee before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Isn't that what the parable's telling us? The master return called as servants to give an account. Each of us will give an account to God. And you remember those words that we began our service with in Revelation chapter uh, 20, verses 11 and 12. Revelation 20 and 11 and 12. I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, Jesus will be the judge. So that's the one God has appointed to be the judge. That's what Paul said Preaching to the men of Athens, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by the man whom he has appointed, and has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus will be the judge. Jesus will be the judge in that day. Earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Now, this is a picture, of course, in the book of Revelation. God doesn't need books. He doesn't need things written down as we do to remind him of of what has happened. God knows everything from the beginning to the end. But another book was opened, we are told, which is the book of life. And listen to this. The dead were judged according to what they had done, according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account And be rewarded according to what we have done. That's what this parable is telling us, isn't it? So the master had gone for a long time, but he returns, and they have to give account. Thirdly, while he is gone, believers must work for him. Now we are taught in this parable a a very simple thing, and it's a good thing to remind to remember. But we're all different. We we don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same talents in a sense. That's why one was given five and one was given two and one was only given one. God does not expect the same from each one of us. Some have more abilities in certain areas than others. And God recognizes that, of course. And it's not just the abilities that God has given to us that are in mind here, I think, but it's also the, the opportunities that God has given us. It's it's the, the privileges that we have that we have to use. Sometimes people would have said to me, and I'm sure most ministers are like this, you know, what will happen to people in other countries who have never heard the gospel when the day of judgment comes? Have you thought about that? And in their mind, you see, there's this thinking, well, surely God can't be unjust in dealing with those people. And uh, My answer was always something like this. The Bible is very clear. If we don't know Jesus as Savior, we have no hope of everlasting life. You can't get around that. No man comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said himself. But then I would have turned the question round on them and said, but look, listen, listen. If there are people in countries that have never heard the gospel, think of North Korea, for example. Think of huge parts of Russia and China where the gospel is virtually unknown. that have never heard the gospel. According to my reading of the scriptures, it will be more tolerable for those people on the day of judgment than it will be for you living in Northern Ireland where you have grown up with a Bible in your house, in your own language, where you've had any number of churches you could go and hear the scriptures explained. For those to whom much is given, of them much will be required. So it's not just our talents, what we can do to serve God, but it's it's our opportunities and our privileges. What have we done with them? Let me indulge in a little bit of Bishop Ryle as he explains how he understands this word talent here. Anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Listen to the list. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges of Christ's church, as members of Christ's church, are advantages as possessors of the Bible. All of these are talents. And for all of these, we will have to give account. And we should use all of these for his gospel or for his glory. God expects us to use the privileges and gifts that he has given us for his glory. And we will answer for the, our use of them. So, people in Northern Ireland, when they stand before God, if they have rejected the gospel, how can they stand before Him? It will be more tolerable for people who have never heard it. That's what Jesus said elsewhere to the Jews of His day. It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon, for Sodom and Gomorrah. If the miracles that I had done with you had been done with them, they would have repented long ago. It will be more tolerable for them on the day of judgment because they have misused their their privileges. They haven't used all those talents, those gifts and privileges that God had given to them. So when he's gone, or while he is gone, believers must work for him. The fourth thing. On the last day we will be judged by our works. The books will be opened and everyone will be judged according to what he has done. Saved by grace, yes, but judged by works. Because faith without works is dead. If we have been truly saved then it should show in our changed lives. The Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians says both of this in a a very familiar passage both of these things in a very familiar passage remember Ephesians 2 verse 8 it's by grace you're saved through faith this not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works so that no one can boast so we will not stand before God and be able to say I have done anything to earn my salvation we can't do anything to earn our salvation. But then Paul goes on to say this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. If we have been saved by grace, then it should lead to a changed life. It should lead to those works that Paul mentions there. And he mentions them in other places as well. I think of, of 2 Corinthians, for example. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. We will be judged by our works. Let's understand that. It's not enough to claim to know Christ. Our lives should show it. They should be changed. There should be the fruit of godliness, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of Christlikeness. And our aim should be that in everything, with all that God has given us, our privileges, our gifts, our abilities, our money, our homes, everything, that we should use them all for his glory. That's what it is to use the talents that God has given us. So on the last day, we will be judged by our works. The last thing. On that day, they will be, there will be only two verdicts. And there will be no wrong verdicts in that day. I despair of our legal system sometimes in this country where I think there is so much injustice. But there will be no injustice on that day. Well done, good and faithful servant. To those who are truly his servants, to those who have shown that by using the talents that the Master gave them. Enter into the joy of your lord enter into the joy sharing your master's happiness is what the international version tells tells us i do like the authorized version Uh, our shorter catechism is a lovely question answer what benefits do believers receive from christ at the resurrection when when we're raised up on this at this last day and we stand before god and then those who know him are taken into glory well what benefits are there at the the resurrection of believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity what will heaven be like well one thing we can say about it is that it will be the full enjoyment of God throughout all eternity well done good and faithful servant that's the the verdict For the man with the five talents, and the man with the two talents. There's only one other verdict, isn't there? You wicked and lazy servant, throw him into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You knew, Jesus said in this parable, you knew. You said that I was a hard man. Uh, you, you said this and that and the other about it. If you knew these things, why didn't you at least put my money on account and get interest for it? You knew how many will stand before God. And he will say to them, you knew. The folks of Union Road, New Comfort, Aquarefeld, Castle Dawson, Curran, He heard the gospel, He heard the word of God preached time after time, you knew. You knew what you should do. Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I remember preaching about hell in Castle Dawson. And I said to the folks, something like this, you know, I'd really rather not have to, to deal with this subject. But we have to. And whatever it will be like, and I don't want to try to uh, suggest things that the Bible doesn't say clearly. But whatever it will be like, it will be awful. You can't read these words and not see that weeping, gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. Just a few comments then as we finish tonight. I I know these are solid passages, and and we come to another one at at the end of of chapter 25. But they're there for our good, aren't they? Uh, They don't uh, shoot the messenger in a sense. You know, this is what Jesus said. So from these two parables this morning, do you truly know Christ? Are you among the wise virgins? Not just professing to be part of the church, but truly converted? And in this parable tonight, are you living a fruitful life in the service of the master? Are you using the talents that God has given you? Does your life show others? We all fail. I know that but when people look at you can they, they see something of Jesus can they see something of the fruits of the Spirit Do your life does your life show by your works which you will be judged by that you truly have been saved by grace They're very simple questions aren't they and we need to apply them to our own hearts may God help us to do so and bless his word to us let's bow for a moment in prayer.